Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 9th, 2022. It focuses on God's post-flood covenant with Noah, his family, and all living creatures on the earth. The message to all who will listen is God, though his judgment is coming because of the wickedness of man, will never wipe out mankind again by means of a globe-encompassing flood. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, sometimes we don't know what we need until we come to your word. And so we're asking that you'd fulfill what we truly need. Maybe not what we want. We might not want correction or rebuke at times, but God, give us what we need. Help us to be encouraged and instructed and trained in righteousness through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school, Scott mentioned an article that Deb Factor had brought to the attention of the youth corps staff at a meeting. And uh, Kyle Nauman, who is Pratt's core life director, brought the article up at our Tuesday morning pastors group that same week. A couple of other pastors had read about or heard about this article and were talking about it. The article, Top Five Heresies Among American Evangelicals, written by Stephanie McDade and published on Christianity Today's website, detailed the findings of a study that was commissioned by a couple of ministries, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. This week, as I began initial prep for my message, I read a short passage from Genesis 6, which triggered a memory of the aforementioned discussion with my pastor friends and Scott's Sunday School class reference. I could only remember a couple of details about the article, so I googled five things evangelicals believe Ligonier. The link at the top of the results was what I was looking for, so I clicked and I read. Are you curious about the top five Heresies among American evangelicals, you are. Good. Hopefully none of you hold them, but we'll see. Here we go. Here's the list with a few statistics that were given in the article. I'm not going to quote which paragraph they're at. You can figure it out if you want to go read it. First one, Jesus isn't the only way to God. Remember, these are falsehoods, not truths. These are the heresies that many people in the church today believe. Here's what it says. More than half... That's 56% of evangelical respondents affirmed that God accepts worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. That's up from 42% in 2020. Second one, Jesus was created by God. A surprising 73% agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Third one, Jesus is not God. 43% affirm that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Fourth one, the Holy Spirit is not a personal being. Speaking of the Trinity, it says 60% of the evangelical survey respondents had some confusion about its third member, believing that the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. And finally, humans aren't sinful by nature. Interestingly, 57% also agreed with the statement that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. In other words, humans might be capable of committing individual sins, but we do not have sinful natures. I find all these things astounding. 
how can anyone listen to sound preaching or read their Bibles and come to any of these conclusions to misquote Narnia? What are they teaching in churches these days? The heresy that I want to talk about today, which I'll be addressing in this message, is that last one, number five. Humans aren't sinful by nature. It directly contradicts the clear teaching of God's word. A few weeks back, we heard Jesus speak up when a man called out to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember how Jesus replied? It's in Mark chapter 10, verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And we looked at some passages from the Old Testament that showed that. No one's good, not today, not yesterday, not any day since the pivotal event that we talked about last week, that fall of Adam and Eve into sin. When Adam and Eve disobediently ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, their nature was changed, and that change in nature has been passed on to their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' 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 kids. You got it. Generation after generation. Men and women, boys and girls, are not, by nature, good and kind and loving. Many of them act in those ways at times because they've been trained by discipline to do so. Thank God for that. But their nature, our nature, each of us, our nature is bent to do what is wrong. You know this is true. You've had experience. You did wrong without being taught how to do wrong, didn't you, as a kid? And even as an adult, you keep doing the wrong thing, yeah? No one had to teach you how to lie or cheat or insult or steal. You figured these things out on your own. Thank you very much. What you had to be taught instead were the opposites. You had to be taught to be honest. You had to be taught to do your own work instead of borrowing from your neighbor's paper. You had to be taught to speak kindly. You had to be taught not to rob your neighbor of his property. Humans are sinful by nature. Let me quote a couple of Paul's letters on this matter, and then we're going to move on to the Old Testament events that I want to talk about today. We're going to start in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 19. As always, we could read a ton from this chapter. There's way more, but I think these verses will make the point well enough. The point Paul is making is that we are all bent towards sin. We have a sinful nature which causes us to act in sinful ways. It's because it's in our heart that we act in the ways that we do. So let's read. This is what God inspired Paul to write in Romans 7, 14 to 19. I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I can relate to Paul, can't you? Yeah, I want to do good, but I fall more often than I want to. I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I fail at that as well. I cannot not sin unless God helps me. 
thanks be to God, he does help us. And that's affirmed a few verses later in verses 24 to 25, the same chapter. Here we find these words, What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Thanks be to God. He's the one that rescues us. We have been delivered from the power of sin, the nature of Within us, that sinful nature has been changed. We're new creation. We're made new in Christ. Now, sometimes we choose to walk according to our sinful nature instead of according to the Spirit. But we, who have the Spirit in us, can say no to sin. Woohoo! That's Greek for hallelujah. All right, it's not Greek at all. All right, here we go. One more short passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesian believers. I think we read this last week, too. But, you know, we got to make the point to make sure we get this. So this is what God put in Paul's mind as he wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 1 to 5. Listen and let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you hear God's word. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the king of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And aren't you glad I included the good news at the end of that? Because we could have stopped before that. But it's by grace God saved us. You and I and every person we know are by nature deserving of God's wrath. That's kind of an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? I mean, God's the ruler of the universe. He gets to choose punishment or freedom. It's uncomfortable for us because we'd like to choose it ourselves, but God says we're not the one that gets to choose that. We are by nature deserving of God's wrath. It is only because God is merciful and gracious that any man, woman, boy, girl can be saved. There is no one good, not even one. Humans are sinful by nature. Just making sure you don't get caught up in that heresy that we're just basically good people. We're not. By nature, we are rebels against God. All right. Now we're ready to go take another little dip into the Old Testament. Last week we heard God offer hope to the recently rebellious couple, Adam and Eve. As they listened in, they heard God say to the serpent who deceived them, he had said these things after they had fallen into sin. He was speaking to the servant. I'm reading the final words of God's curse upon the servant that are found in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity, that's hatred, discord, conflict, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, that is the offspring, singular, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Those words were the first hint that a Savior was coming. A Savior who would undo the damage done by mankind's sinful response to the serpent's temptation. This short statement has been over the centuries called the Adamic or Adamic Covenant. Fancy word, right? 
which just means that it was a covenant that God made and obligated himself to in response to Adam's, Adamic, to Adam's sin to provide a savior who would crush the serpent's head. His promise was an unconditional one. Did you notice that? He didn't say, if you behave yourself from now on, I'll send a savior. He just says, I'm going to send this offspring of the woman, and she's going to crush the head of the serpent. He, that is God, is going to accomplish this whether or not mankind changed their ways, which they didn't. The serpent's head would be crushed. This morning, we're going to talk about a second covenant that God made with mankind. This one has been named the Noahic Covenant. If Adamic covenant was a promise made to God to all mankind through Adam, can you guess who God entered into a covenant with when it's called the Noahic covenant? Who was the man? Noah. Very good. Noah's the correct answer. We're going to cover God's promise to this flawed but God-fearing man this week, and in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about covenants that God made with mankind through other men. I'm not going to list all of them for you. You're going to have to come back and find out. But we're going to talk about those covenants over the next few weeks. All right, moving right along. The story of Noah begins in Genesis chapter 6. His name first appears in verse 8 of that chapter. If you'll humor me for a second, I'm going to read that verse in its context, starting with verse 5 and reading down through verse 8. So here's what Genesis 6, 5 to 8 tells us of the world of Noah's time and about Noah's relationship to the world and to God. Starting at verse 5, Genesis 6, 5 to 8, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. A lot has changed since Genesis 1-1. When we were introduced to God and were told that he created the heavens and the earth, a lot has transpired since God saw all that he made and pronounced it. Remember at the end of the creation, he says, it's very good. A lot has occurred since Adam and Eve first disobeyed, and most of what has changed and transpired and occurred has not been good. It's been bad, really bad. So bad that in verse 6, we learn that God regrets that he has made human beings. Whew. (laughs) For those who believe that humans are basically good, look at what verse 5 says of the descendants of Adam and Eve, those who are alive at the time of Noah. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil. The thoughts, every thought in the human being's heart, it was only evil all the time. There's no one good. Not even you. It was true then. It remains true today. Only by the grace of God is there any hope for any one of us. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that a great statement? Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? 
Yeah. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. While everybody else is following the desires that are sinful hearts, while everyone else's thoughts are only evil all the time, his eyes, Noah's eyes, are on God. Now, we know that he's a flawed person. We're not going to read all the stories, but he, he made some dumb choices too. He's, he's still got that sinful nature, but his heart and his eyes and his, his, his will are set on what God wants. So let's see what difference this makes, this uh, fact that his eyes are on God. Let's see what difference this makes in Noah's life, what difference it makes for all the animals which God has given mankind authority over to rule benevolently. Picking up the story at verse 9, we're back in Genesis 6. Here's what it says, starting at verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Can you see why Noah gained favor in the eyes of the Lord? His heart is set on doing what God commands, and it's right there in verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded. I've said it a gazillion times, and that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. But I've said it a lot. Salvation is not by works, but obedience is a sign of faith. Those who are saved do what God commands. They hate sin and love what is right and what is good. They take pleasure in following God's commands. And because the Spirit of God lives in believers, it's not difficult for us to do that if we'll stay in obedience and walk with the Spirit. Can you love God without obeying him? You might claim to be a Christian while walking purposely in disobedience, but your claim is falsified by your rebellion against God. Believers do not regularly choose sin. Listen to what John wrote to the church at the beginning of 1 John chapter 5. I'm reading the first five verses. Pay attention to the connection between loving God or loving God's children and obedience to God's command. You ready to hear God's word to you? Here it is. 1 John 5, 1 to 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. 
This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I once picked up a book entitled Loving God, thinking it was going to be all about gushy stuff. It was about obedience. (laughs) Your love for God is proven by your obedience to him. It is proven by your desire to do what he commands and your joy in putting his word into practice. A true believer does not find God's love burdensome. I've already said this, but let me say it again. A true believer does not find God's laws burdensome because the spirit within them is helping them to see God's perspective on things and to live a joyful life full of freedom from sin's guilt and from sin's power. This is the good news. We don't have to sin anymore if we will submit to God and walk with the Spirit. One more thing from Genesis 6, those verses that we just read. In verse 18, God says he's going to establish a covenant with Noah and his family. But he doesn't say what the agreement is. Not at this point. We'll get to that in a minute or two. For now, just note that in building the ark as God commanded him, Noah and his family were saved from the flood that God has warned this man about. Think a quick look at the words that Hebrews 11 say about this man. What's said of Noah in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, which we call the hall of fame of faith. It's helpful for us to see this. So listen to what Hebrews says about Noah, a man of faith who obeyed God while surrounded by men and women whose hearts and minds were set on wickedness and evil, only evil all the time. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11:7 by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith when god warns obeying him is an act of faith Noah, in faith, did everything just as God commanded him. That's back in chapter 6, verse 22. He believed that the flood was coming. He acted accordingly. God credited his faith-inspired action to him as righteousness. Now, there's a really interesting passage in Peter's second letter to the church, which refers back to Noah's time in history, to the flood, and to the judgment, which is going to come at the end of all time. What we really need to read is 2 Peter 3, 3 to 13, but that's a bit more than I can cover and still have time for the actual covenant God made with Noah. So these verses, verses 11 to 13, are going to have to stand for the rest. So for brevity's sake, we're going to look at verses 11 to 13. I just want to tell you that in verses 3 to 10, these verses warn those who doubt that judgment is coming to watch out. He says that the flood was an example of the suddenness of God's judgment and assures those who mock God that God's patience will eventually wear thin and destruction of the ungodly is going to come about at the end of all things. So now we're ready for verse 11. Here we go. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring 
about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God has warned that a second judgment is coming. Are we responding as Noah did when he was warned? Are we obeying everything that God has commanded us, living holy and godly lives in an age that looks an awful lot like Noah's? Those whose eyes are on God will be saved by God. Those who heed the warning of coming judgment against sin will show their faith in God. The call of all Scripture is to love God by obeying his commands. Again, we have the help of the Holy Spirit in this, so those commands are not burdensome. Now for the covenant that God made with Noah and his family, and with the earth, and with all living creatures, with us, what God promises in Genesis 9, we're going to see now. We're going to read verses 8 through 15, even though there are words from God on either side of this passage, we're just going to read this section. Before I read, a brief word on what we're skipping over. In the gap between Genesis 6 and 9, Noah built the ark. The animals came to the ark to be rescued. They all went inside. The door was shut. The rain came down and the floods came up. You know all that. Wiping out all living things. That's kind of a scary story, a picture of God's wrath. And Noah and his family, after months upon months and upon months in the ark, walk out on dry ground. Sorry, we couldn't read all that, but that's what happened. Let's hear now what happened afterwards. Noah's worshiping God because that's what he does. And this is what God says. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 12, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Have the people of our day gone mad in pursuit of evil? Yes. Does our culture condone and promote things which God calls sin? Yeah. Will God judge our generation by flooding the whole earth? No. Despite the wickedness in the hearts of people, God will not resort ever again to a worldwide flood. Even though the thoughts of every man and woman rebelling against him are always evil all the time, God will not wipe out mankind or destroy all living things with a globe-encompassing deluge ever again. It's his promise to us. Instead, God will patiently invite sinners to come to faith in Jesus in order to be saved from the judgment that is coming. He will welcome those who repent, those who turn from their sin. He will have mercy and show grace. Isn't God good? We are by nature objects of his wrath, and yet because he loves us, he sent Jesus to save us. He sent the solution 
How do you need to respond to God and his word? By putting your faith in Jesus and by living holy and godly lives. That's how we're supposed to live when we're warned, is obedience, obeying God's commands with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you over the next few moments to talk with God. We're going to take a little bit of time in silence, and you can ask him to help you to live for him in the dark days that we live in, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus for salvation. I want to encourage you to ask God for help in overcoming your bent toward evil, those sins that trip you up so often. Allow him to do his work in you to bring freedom, not only from the guilt of sin, which he settled on the cross, but also from the power of sin, which he showed was possible because of the resurrection. Jesus living in us, the Holy Spirit in us, that's what helps us. That's what gives us power over sin. So I want to encourage you in this time of silence to talk with God, to ask him what he wants to do in you, and invite him to do his work. Let's take just a few moments to do that. God, we're thankful that even though we were by nature objects of your wrath, that you in love sent Jesus to, to pay the price for our sin and to give us hope of eternal life and to free us from the power of sin. God, I pray that you would help each of us to put our faith daily in you and to walk daily with you in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can say no to sin. We acknowledge that we are not in and of ourselves good, but that only you are good. And that we need your help to live by your commands. And we thank you that because of your Spirit's work in us, that it's not difficult or burdensome to live for you. That your Spirit helps us. Help us to walk in step with you this week instead of in step with that nature that we have that causes us to wander. We thank you, God, that your judgment will no longer come by way of a flood, but we acknowledge that judgment is coming, final judgment, when you'll judge the heavens and the earth and that you'll change everything and make everything new and restore creation to the place that was supposed to be. And God, we want others to be with us in that kingdom when you establish that. So help us this week to see what you're doing and to join you in your work, to draw people to you. May our words and our actions and our attitudes and everything about us point people to you, and may you receive the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.